Hello and welcome back to Ask the Teacher ABC. Um, we are so excited to be here today. Uh, this is our 30th episode. Yay! Yay! Yay. Yes. Um, we actually have a very special guest. So, Mom, can you please introduce our special guest today? Yes. Welcome, everyone, and welcome Constance Escobar. Constance Escobar has her master's degree in special education. We've actually been friends for a while now, and we thought we would have her on here because she is a great special ed teacher here in Phoenix, Arizona. Hello, Constance. Hello, and thank you for having me. We are so excited um, to talk about this topic today because, you know, it is something that is, um, it's a part of every teacher's life and it's a part of a lot of parents' lives as well. And we wanted to, um, you know, really demystify, you know, what special education is and really talk about, you know, uh, what role it plays in schools. So, um, like, I guess, like, one of the first questions I would have is, can you tell us, like, a little bit about, like, what the role of a special education teacher is in schools? Hey, a special education teacher provides specialized instruction that meets the needs of a student who has a learning disability. And there are 13 categories of disabilities according to the IDEA Act. Um, and some of them, you know, we could talk about if you want, um, but some are more predominant than others, um, like autism. Um, we have quite a lot of um, occurrences of autism uh, in our area, and it's growing across the country. But we also have um, the developmental delay sort of, um, and that actually that category only goes up in from, well, actually, that category goes from the year three through nine. Once they're nine years old, we have to change their eligibility. They can't be developmentally disabled after nine years old. But, oh, that's interesting. So can you tell us what IDEA is, like just for the parents out there to kind of understand that? Yes, it's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Mm -hmm. And it was it was written in 1990, and it passed at that time. Um, and basically, it was initiated to provide rights to children who may be disregarded. Um, and prior to 1990, there was another act, and it was the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, Children's Act. And mm -hmm. basically, that one gave children the right to go to school. Prior, prior to 1975, children were not allowed to come to school they had certain disabilities oh i didn't wow, know i had that's no idea new learning for me <laughs> yes that's new oh learning for me. a lot of children stayed home um and so in 1975 there was an act that allowed children to be um protected you know within a school setting you know to yes, uh, yeah. be educated in 1990 they re revised that act and it became IDEA and I'll just read the definition here it says that individuals with disabilities education act is a piece of American legislation that ensures students with a disability are provided with a free and appropriate public education 
that is tailored to their individual needs. So that's what I was saying when um, I gave the definition of what, you know, basically the description of what I do is that I teach children based on their needs. Yes, yeah. very important. Very important. So what would you say like is the process? Like, can you tell us a little bit about the process if I was a parent and my child um, um, qualified for uh, special education? Can you just tell us just a quick part of that process, please? Yes. And so if the child, I will start with the, the fact that if a teacher recommends uh, testing to the special education team, then there would be an evaluation done. And that would be a cognitive evaluation. It could be um, an evaluation of their speech language capacity. It could um, examine their um, their fine motor, which is uh, their ability to uh, encompass their ability to write, the gross motor, their ability to play on the playground. If they're having problems with those things, we will evaluate the whole child. And then we'll come together in a uh, review of existing data, we'll we'll talk as a team. Uh, all of those those specialists and the teacher and the parent will get together and talk about these problems. There there will be an evaluation if the parent desires there to be an evaluation. They have to sign for it, um, and then within sixty days we would evaluate their child. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, after their after all of the testing and everything is finished, then then what would be that that next step? The next step would be that we would have a met to they may call it, which is an evaluation uh, results meeting, where you would get all of the um, results from the, the various therapists, and then they would then say yes, this this child qualifies, or no, they don't qualify for special services. So what would you say, like, what's like the primary message that you would want parents to know once their child was accepted into having special education services? What, what would you, what would you like to tell them? Because I know with my own experience, when um, my child needed a little bit of speech therapy at one time, they handed me this big packet about rights and responsibilities. But what are those primary rights and responsibilities? Because sometimes you read that lingo and is it parent-friendly? It was so many years ago. But is it parent-friendly when you read it? Do the parents really know their rights and responsibilities? Because even over my own journey um, as an educator and as a mom, a lot of parents don't know what's going on. And they think the school has more power than they do, so to speak. Do you see what I mean? Right, right. And so there are addresses on that front page of the parental safeguards, they call it. There are addresses of different organizations, governmental organizations that they can go to if they feel that that the school is not um, helping them in the way that they promised. Um, or if the child is not growing in the way that that was uh, that in the way that they think they should be growing. Okay. So if the IEP is not being followed, if the growth is not there, they could, you know, speak to the the services on the front of that procedural safeguard packet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Parents, I don't know that they they 
they read the whole thing. Um, it's, it is a very, um, all encompassing packet. Um, but we offer it every single time we have a meeting and, mm -hmm. um, you know, but what primarily what we try to do is handle any issue that they have, um, in the school setting, you know, if they have a problem, they can go to the psychologist and, you know, talk to the psychologist about reevaluating the child. You know, if they think that mm -hmm. maybe they were uh, diagnosed with something that they don't, that doesn't seem to be correct, they can have them reevaluate, you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. if they think that something was missed in the evaluation, you know, mm -hmm. they, they can ask for a reeval, you know what I mean? Yes. They can also ask for a new, or a, okay, not necessarily a new IEP, but they can ask to have a, an IEP meeting to review the IEP at any time. Oh, um, wow. That's interesting. Not, yeah. That's interesting. That's powerful to know. Right, Anna? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so a parent, so the first con go to contact person is the school psychologist. Yes. If you want your child's IEP revised. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So, that's another thing that we want our parents to know that they have the, that power. Now, so, what if it's, Go ahead. I was just going to say that the special education teacher is the case carrier, the person who writes the IEP, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the person who carries it out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you can, you know, and we do have a, a a good relationship typically. I, you know, the mothers that I have, you know, of the children, you know, that I service, all agree with me on, on my diagnosis of what their issue is. And yes, they're like that at home. Um, two, and I see what you're saying. You know, we all agree there, there's not been a case for me where the mothers don't agree with what I'm saying and what they need. But in the case where there is a special ed teacher who's not in um, line with their beliefs, then they, the parent can go to the psychologist, the principal. So, so naturally, then the the first point of contact, like if I had a child who was in special education services and I had questions, then my first point of contact would be the special education teacher. Then yes, yes, okay, okay. okay. I just wanted to verify that, and then for the a reevaluation, or if I had concerns about what the IEP was, I could either request an IEP meeting, mm -hmm. or I could also speak to the school psychologist. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's good to know where parents can have um, different choices and that they have different avenues that they can follow. Because honestly, even after my own learning in uh, my own higher learning at the university, I didn't know that you could request a meeting at any time, um, even before your um, evaluation. So normally, does an IEP, an individual education plan, does that, um, is that every year that it's revised or, or re-looked at and measured every annually, basically? Annually, yes. And I've had, I'd say two meetings this year in the past quarter where moms just wanted to go over the IEP again with us and just make sure there's a new teacher, there's a new SPED teacher for that student, and they just want to make sure that everything is still um, in alignment with what they agreed with at the ad last annual IEP. Mm -hmm. And so if we had to change something for some reason, then we would call an amendment meeting. 
to amend the IEP. But at any time, you can meet with the psychologists and the special ed teachers and just say, I want to go over it again so I understand what my child is receiving. So I have a question that kind of um, connects to this. So when you, so I've obviously been a teacher for, um, I taught for a long time. So when I would receive um, IEPs, there were times where I had like, I think like 10 in a class and, you know, trying to go over those. Where can teachers go to like, because like we're part of it, but I think, you know, we don't get as much of that um, foundational special education, like understand it as much as the special education teachers do. So where can teachers go to like really get a good understanding of the IEPs for their students so that they can make sure that they're following those in the classroom and being successful with that? Well, I would say that they should talk to the special education teacher that, you know, produce those IEPs. And if not, you know, just talk to the, whoever that they have that's on campus that is a special education yeah, just because I've run into like these weird situations, like where I guess it's because of the yearly plan that the, yes. a different person made it last year. And so I'll go to someone and be like, I don't really understand this. And they're like, oh, well, I didn't write it. So wow, I know it's it's I, you know, you work everywhere. You meet all kinds of different people and some people are more helpful and some are less helpful. Um, you hope for, you know, everyone to be on the same page. But I just wanted to kind of verify. So and can so and also here's another question. Can a teacher like suggest, can their homeroom teacher suggest um an IEP reevaluation? Or is that something that they is not part of the the way that things work? It's not typical. I have not seen that because the IEP goals are what the student needs and they may be something different than what you're teaching. And a, a lot of times in the general ed classroom, you're going so quick, you know, through the curriculum so quickly that um, what you're doing is, is basically going to be far advanced from what they need to know. You know, like we may have, I may have students that they can't blend and they are in fourth grade. They, they can't blend the basic words. Um, they're still working on sight words because of, you know, issues like memory or they may have um, some sort of disability that is, you know, okay, let's say dyslexia, but we don't really talk that much about dyslexia. But there are students who just can't advance um, in the area of reading as quickly as they need to to access your level of education. And so um, what I'm working on typically comes out of the MET report that is the evaluation report that the psychologist has done that says that because of their short-term memory loss, they have a hard time sounding out words. Or because of their low IQ, their IQ is below average maybe below 80 they can't reason you know as to why they need to do what you're asking them to do or they can't reason well enough to understand comprehension questions there's a, there are a lot of reasons that a child can be placed in in special education underneath those 
um, disability categories, there's a lot of things that are problems that they mm-hmm. experience. Right. I know because I, I ran into a lot of, you know, I taught junior high in my in, in the junior high, it was sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And so for a lot of the sixth graders that I had, it was like really, really tough because they're their goals were based off of a one classroom type of setting as opposed to having multiple classes. And so that is where I ran into like, I was always at pushing for, okay, let's do reevaluations at the beginning of the school year so that we can make sure that we're doing everything for these kids. Um, and I just had some pushback from that. And like, sometimes it wouldn't happen until April. And I'm like, well, by then... We we weren't properly serv. I don't. I, at least I didn't feel like we were properly servicing the child, um, because they had all of these. Like they had seven classes or six classes or whatever it was, but their education plan was based off of a one teacher, one classroom, and so that's why I was asking that because I I ran into a lot of um, issues with my sixth graders and the parents. By the time they had their plan, they didn't realize that they could have requested one. Because then they would call us and be like, well, what are you doing for this? And what are you doing for that? And what do you, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe we should, you know, talk to the special education team and see what's happening on their front so that I can best help with your child. So that's why I was asking. And also, you know, I noticed, um, you know, going into their uh, CUME file, right, into their file to find out what their history has been. I think a, a lot of um, even like teachers can use that as an avenue of knowledge to move forward right is mm-hmm. to be on that same page as everyone else mm-hmm. knowing how the child is coming into the situation and actually taking time to make sure that they know their minutes and and everything so that they can service their student and make sure that their student is getting services because sometimes that could happen too right where the student has so many minutes but the teacher doesn't know the minutes and you know maybe they they get um Sometimes they're not on the radar, right? Sometimes that does happen at different schools because it can be so inundating as well, right? Right, right. And so I just want to be clear about the IEP and um, dates and things like that. So yes. the IEP meeting um, is based upon the first day that they had an IEP. You know, that it was it was the IEP meeting. The first IEP meeting occurred, let's say, on April 1st of last year that was their first IEP. well the next ip date where we review it again will be that april date and so that's the way we do it and, and we can't do all of them we don't have enough i'm not going to say we don't have enough time to do it but this is the way it's set up that they have an IEP for one year and that if it if it was initiated in january it won't be good until the next january the evaluation is renewed every three years so that's another thing and so uh, and the other thing is i've i've taught sixth grade for a number of years in special education and there are i mean uh, even if we did have a, uh, a new iep at the beginning of the year there aren't necessarily um things that can be done to improve them within that year you know i do you know it, because if someone has phonological reasoning, reasoning uh, problems uh, or they have 
some other sort of uh, problem. They have a low IQ or they have um, a short-term memory loss. They won't necessarily improve regardless of what, you know, we do. We actually are continuing. I have had the same students for three years and I am, you know, and they are improving, but it's the repetition at that baseline level that is helping them to grow. Uh, and so, and I know that we've got specialized programs out there that produce um, growth, but it's at their instructional level, which might be first grade if they're in sixth grade, might be second grade. So um, I'd just like to go ahead and talk about, like, what if a student, can you tell us a little bit about a 504 plan? Because a lot of parents don't know what that means. They don't even know that that's available. So can you just talk a little bit about what what that is, just so that some parents out there can understand? A 504 plan is something similar to an IEP, but it is, and it covers those disability categories that we are speaking of, but... It's for a child that doesn't necessarily need academics. So it could be for a child with ADHD or with um, hearing impairment or um, with, let's say. What about like asthma? Like I've heard sometimes kids have a 504 because they have really bad asthma, like a physical it can, it, well, I have not seen asthma, but I've seen um, these disabilities that we're talking about, the learning disabilities under IDEA covered on, on a 504. And basically, the, it is to provide accommodations for them. So, uh, okay, okay. So giving them that extra, a little bit of extra help mm -hmm. without actually being qualified for an right. IEP. And it, okay. it, yes, and it goes to the teacher. And a teacher uh -huh. is, it, it lets a teacher know, you know, what the child needs to be successful. Yes. So, so are these, uh, do, do pa parents ever wonder, like, can there, is there a time or is there a space where students are not expected to take um, state tests because of their IEP? Or do, is this a blanket testing no matter what, even with or without accommodations, st all students will be tested at grade level? Okay, there are students who have a certain level of IQ that will take a particular state test. That is okay. Me. So it's like modified. Okay, great. Okay, that's good to know, right, Anna? Yeah, that is great. Everyone else with a standard cognitive score uh -huh. is usually recommended to take state and district assessments. Okay. Because I think I've seen like um, um, accommodations for people that um, don't see well, so their print is larger. Yes. Or um, you know, mm -hmm. maybe this kiddo has to be tested in a small room or just different things. So I think that that's important too for parents to know that their kiddos will be expected to take the state test, and it also mm -hmm. will be modified according to certain situations. Yes. That's right. All right. Okay. So how long have you been a SPED ed teacher? How long have you been in SPED? This is my fourth year. Okay. Okay. You know what? Thank you so much for being here with us today. 
Um, I feel like I learned a lot from you. Uh, hopefully, um, all of our listeners got something from this. Um, again, uh, we love our listeners. We are so happy to have you as well, um, Constance. Please, um, you know, go ask your questions. Um, I'm sure that uh, Constance would um, answer a few questions if people have some questions. Would you mind doing that for us if we get some questions? Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. We are so happy. Have a blessed week, everybody, and enjoy the day. Yay.